on this episode of Quantum Week, June 2nd through 8th, 1991. Quantum Week, I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, and we talk about movies and music and headlines, and we are continuing through June 1991, this time with uh, City Slickers and Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Yes. And the first thing we want to do is thank our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons, but in particular for this episode, Arthur B., Abraham H., Chris H., and Manny P., thank you so much. Abraham H and <laughs> yes, Manny exactly. P. Uh, Abraham appendages and uh, Manny P. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, yes, thank you to all patron uh, patrons. You can go to Patreon. Uh, we have, uh, if you're hearing this on Saturday, uh, we'll have a new episode tomorrow on Sunday uh, on Patreon. Only. It's only on Patreon. Yep. It's going to be, uh, oh, Backdraft. Backdraft, Ron Howard firefighting epic. But the cool thing is, if you're not already a patron, you can uh, sign in and then you have access to all of our like this hidden Sunday shows we've been doing. Yep. I think there's like five, maybe five or six of them up there. Tomorrow or six? Tomorrow or six. I think so, yeah. So, um, you know, if you're looking for extra stuff to listen to, there you go. It's a good way to do it. Also, thank you to our sponsors, Two Tours, uh, twotours.com, makers of fine CBD products, including their salve, which I use every single day for my fractured, terrible, not very strong, um, not very flexible wrist. Um, and I've also used CBD plenty of times in my life to help me get sleep. It's great for anxiety. Uh, Two Doors CBD is a great company. Um, veteran-owned company from Tennessee, twotours.com. Code QW for 10% off and free shipping. That's right. It also helps with insomnia, which helps me go to sleep, which is why I like it. Yeah. You, yeah. I, use the, I use the drops. When you when you're insomnia when you have insomnia do you like pace or do you like just stay in bed? No, I'm not in bed. I'm, I'm usually like in, I don't I don't usually go to bed until I know I'm like sleepy. Oh really? So I'm like yeah. on the couch in the living room. And I'm just kind of like hanging out watching movies or um just kind of just hanging out and then um yeah I'm like oh, why aren't I tired? I don't know. I never really pace. You don't pace. No. Yeah. Because that will wake me up. Yeah, I guess moving your body me, would give you some energy. Yeah. yeah. So you just you take the CBD. Take CBD and I'm like all right you know then you know well, I said it's worked out like clockwork every time, like usually 15, 20 minutes after I take it, the eyes start getting heavy and then I go upstairs, then I go to bed and then I'm asleep in the 10 minutes, which is great for me. So. Awesome. Yeah. Get some sleep, go to two tours.com code, uh, QW for 10% off and free shipping. Shall we city slickers it? We should. Okay. Um, C plus movie for me. Not bad. Do you like this movie a lot? I don't, I like it more than I should. Uh, I'm going to give it a B. Okay. It teetered between B and B minus. I'm going to give it a B cause it, it hit me in the heart in the right in the right spots. Yeah, I can uh, see it. There's some spots that are really really good. I could really relate to elements of it too. So I was like, all right, I think it's like getting me at the right time. I'm I'm 41. Oh yeah, perfect. These characters 39. They're having kind of midlife crises of of sorts. Um, and there's like elements of each of the three main characters I could really relate to. Me too. And I uh, so I think it got me in the right right day, in the right time, the right moment to get that B. Um, if I had seen this movie when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. Maybe if I see it when I'm old, I'm going to be annoyed by it. But right. Uh, for right now, it worked for me. Um, yeah, it's got problems. It has some flaws, but it is a movie that is trying to do the right thing. And yeah, most of the time it does it. And when it doesn't try too hard, it does it the best. The slapstick is probably the thing that I relate to least. Like I, I felt like I needed that l less than anything else. 
I mean, particularly because you've got three friends who have like a good relationship and you buy it. Yes. There's a beautiful setting and amazing cinematography through a lot of the film. And then you have these little sort of vignettes of their life, like the party scene, which is great. The, you know, the, the, the scene in the river when, <laughs> when they're trying to save Norman. Really good. They, really, they, really well done. You know, there's, or, or with, um, uh, what's it say? Oh, Mitch and Curly together on their little yeah, ride. And their interaction. And Jack Palance, exactly. Yep. Like those, those are nice. Also very good. Very nice moments. But I the agree. slapstick is just kind of, uh, which is probably what I liked more as a kid. You know, when I saw it, I was probably more into that like goofy thing. And, um, and of course, Billy Crystal's got a lot of charisma. Um, yeah, too. He, he does. So, uh, yeah. So I, th- I think I related to that more as a kid, but now as an, as an adult, at the age of the characters, I don't need the slapstick. I just wanted the... Right, you want more... So let's start with the best part of the movie. Yeah. Which is the camaraderie between the three lead actors. And that's uh, Billy Crystal, uh, Daniel Stern, and Bruno Kirby. Yep. Daniel Stern, you if you don't know his name, you know him probably as a narrator of Wonder Years or, or one of the bad guys in Home Alone. Not Joe Pesci. Not Joe Pesci. Uh, and then you have uh, Bruno Kirby, who is in Godfather 2. He played yep. Comenza. He's also Billy Crystal's friend in When Harry Met Sally. Yep. Which is Billy Crystal's best movie. This is probably his second. Um, Oof, really? Yeah. I was trying to think, but uh, yeah. I mean, I you know, just throw him on from the train, which has some things about it that are really interesting yeah. and dark, but I don't know if it's as good as a movie of this. It's right. full completion. Um, Forget Paris has some interesting yeah. things about it, uh, but this is his, this his is, second. This is, I think it might have been his Not second the best, best career then with him. Harry yeah. Met Sally I like a lot, but. No, I don't, I have some issues with Billy Crystal's career. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I think he's, I don't, I do not like him as an Oscar host. I don't think his one season in SNL was, was particularly great. Mm. Uh, I don't like that kind of humor. It's very broad. And that's a big issue with, with him in this movie is that, that kind of baby boomer, older boomer, broad comedy. Yeah. Billy Crystal is, is great at that. It's not any at all. It's, it's very antiquated now. It feels like, it's almost like watching Milton Berle do something. From the I can 50s. see that. So like, this is, that time has passed. Right. Like, it's not really interesting or funny to me at all. But like older people think it's hysterical. And, and that's just, you know, that's what he is. I've always kind of liked him though. Like, I feel like he's a nice guy. Like his persona is always this nice guy, kind of gentle, do, trying to do the right thing. Try hard though. He's I a guess try hard. He I guess really try hard. wants to be funny all yeah, the time. I can see that. He's from that Robin Williams. I mean, him, Robin Williams and Rupi Goldberg famously did comic relief. Right. Um, and, you know, coming from that school of just got to be, I'm funny, I'm funny, I'm funny. It's like, all right, well, just just relax. And, and Billy Crystal has trouble doing that, except for when he's in a couple movies like this or when, when Harry Met Sally, where he sure. could kind of then become a real person again. It's like, oh, that, that person's a lot more interesting than this guy that wants to be funny and wacky all the time. Yeah. I'm glad he was playing a character here that had kind of a, was kind of depressed and had a kind of a, a more somber look at things because sure. it, it kind of muted him Kept a bit. him low a little bit, yeah. And then back to the three characters. So, um, these three actors are all fine actors. Billy Crystal is the weakest of the three. Yes. Um, but Bruno Kirby is a, is a fantastic, uh, character actor. And so is Daniel Stern. Yeah. Daniel Stern's done some nice things in his career. Um, both guys are very comfortable and never try to do too much, which is probably why Billy Crystal cast them. Another reason he cast them was because Rick Moranis was supposed to be in this. That's right. I saw that. And then his wife got sick. His wife dies, you know, d- died, yeah, yeah. cancer and died, uh, basically when this was, it's very sad what happened to his career after that too. He really took a step. Not sad, well, I guess, but yeah, lucky it was, I mean, it was, it was his choice. I mean, he oh, wanted to raise his kids. Yeah. It's not like he, you know, he was shunned from Hollywood or no, something. No, 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 no. He backed off. Yeah. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just sad that it's just, it just bums. It just, I know. know Cause he's good. Such, and he seemed I really to like, really have a great, you know, yeah. he just, seems like a really great guy. Yes. You know, Rick Moranis, uh, we talked about him a little bit in Ghostbusters when we covered that, but, um, just a fantastic comedic actor. Yeah. Um, Daniel Stern is very good in this, but Rick Moranis would have been better. I imagine he just because yep. he's, he's so great. Yep. 
Uh, and the fact that he kind of put his career on pause for the, for the right reasons and for reasons I imagine I would do as well. I hope. Oh yeah. But, um, still kind of, as a moviegoer, I feel cheated. And then, you know, it's just sad. So his wife died in February of 91. This comes out in June. Mm -hmm. So this tells you during production, she must've been quite sick. Sure. You know, and it was a very late casting. They they bring in Stern. So it was Daniel Stern, Bruno Kirby and and Billy Crystal. And you believe these guys basically are all lifelong friends, which I can relate to. They have been friends since they were in like, since they were kids, they talk about stuff that happened when they were teenagers. Yep. Uh, and they have, and you buy it, which you is totally really hard it. to do. Very hard to do. Yeah. Because you don't, it's not one note. Like there's, there's the, you see the entire range of the emotion. They get frustrated with each other. They love each other. They laugh with each other. There's, there's all of it. They want to kill each other sometimes. Yes. Yeah. It seems like a really deep developed relationship between the three of them. Yeah. They're so close. They're almost like brothers. When, yep. it, when, if you have friends that I, I'm lucky where I have had friends for that long in my life, it is like that a little bit. I don't buy the only some things it's like a little bit like Billy Crystal corniness like all right guys you make up and you make up like that and that the, probably wouldn't that shit doesn't happen, happen no um but you do if you have like a little bit of a, a you know a little bit of a fight with your friends you do make up really quickly because it's like all right well Those, yeah we've got so much history let's just put this shit away like right. we can move on from this yes yeah, exactly totally um so that uh, that was very believable and very real and and very well acted and stuff yeah. like the you talked about earlier that scene where he saves Norman. Norman is a calf. If you haven't seen the movie, who he birthed, who he birthed, with, with <laughs> which Jack is Brown's. disgusting, but it's a good scene. It's, it's a very disgusting. good scene. Um, and it's probably Billy Crystal's best acting in in the movie, probably because he has to change yeah. quickly there, and he's not too 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 broad. He is at first, and he calms down. Um, but that scene when he's when he's trying to chase after Norman is very good. And then Bruno Kirby and Dino Stern chase after him so quickly. You buy it. You totally, you do. buy that these guys go would, my would do whatever it took to help their friend. Cause that's just, you just kind of go, it's like trying to save your brother. You would just yeah. go do it. Yep. And Bruno Kirby really sells it really well. Um, he's such a good actor. He died early. Uh, yeah, it was in mid fifties. Yeah. Something. Which is a shame. Um, but he's, he's like one of those quiet, good uh, Kirk Minahan talks about him a lot on, on the Kirk Minahan show about, um, Bruno Kirby's being a, this great character actor and he's hundred percent right. Like yeah. everything he's in, he, he doesn't do too much. He does just enough and he's fantastic. He's really good in Godfather too. Yeah. Uh, but he's great in this. And um, that scene in particular is, is such a great climax to that, um, that relationship. Like, you know, it ha- sometimes the movie, the stakes get ridiculously high in this movie. Yeah. So I was going to mention that the flip side of, uh, yes. of Billy Crystal is during the, the scene where the Cowboys are like <laughs> threatening to, to shoot totally uh, Norman. Yes. And it's, he's sort of, He's kind of like funny about it in the yes. Billy Crystal is when he's still in the tent deciding whether he wants to go out and save Norman. He's a little like, I don't, if that elevated, you wouldn't be, there wouldn't be, it wouldn't be fucking funny. If you're worried about going out there with cowboys with guns in their hands, you know, they might shoot you. They're fucking drunk off their ass. You're not making jokes there. No, I don't think so. Either. I didn't really buy that scene, which was too bad because that could have been another. I also don't think that scene is. I mean, no, it wasn't necessary. They had to get, they had to have a reason to get the Cowboys out. They did. Cause they didn't want, they wanted, they wanted the three guys to bring in the herd themselves. So they, they, they find these excuses to get rid of the other characters in yeah, this movie. Did. Yep. Which <laughs> that is actually kind of funny. Let's get rid of the dentist and kid. Right. Let's, let's get, get rid, rid of the, the Cowboys. <laughs> let's get rid of, right. Let's get rid of the ice cream guy <laughs> right. and, uh, and Supergirl. Yes. Let's get, let's get rid of everybody. <laughs> very weird. And we'll, you know, right. Uh, um, <laughs> Which, all right. But I, there was already bad interactions between the Cowboys and, and particularly with Mitch, yes. Billy Crystal's character. So that, that could have just come to a head naturally, like, fuck you, fuck you, and then gone or something. You didn't have to have I the, think you could have maybe even, I guess they don't want to kill any, they, they don't want anybody else to die, but I was saying maybe you could just have those guys go off that cliff. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess 
There are other ways to do it. I guess. I, I guess. It was just, it seemed ridiculous to me. I'm like, this. I don't buy this scene. <laughs> yeah, the calf with the fucking gun in its mouth the was a little weird. It was very weird. Yeah. yeah it's like, it was, what? It, well, you do that. I think they do that to pull the right heartstrings. You know, we, we right. are just instinctually um, drawn towards innocence. And so when you see innocence threatened like that, you just, it pulls your heartstrings. But, but this then is a movie when you're aware of it, you're like, oh. This is a movie that's steeped in reality, though. Yes, exactly. For these guys, when these guys do things like save the calf, it has to have a lot of oomph because you buy this journey. It does. And when you have yeah. a cowboy sticking a gun in the mouth of a <laughs> it's calf. Like, this is a cartoon. It's yeah, right. It becomes right. It's like, you know, you should be Sam stuff and you're like, what's happening here? Yeah. So that that's not not great. Yeah. So I, I right. I think that's a good dichotomy of, you know, good. And then the bad, you know, the bad, the good with the river and the bad with, with, uh, with the cow. <laughs> Another issue I have with the film uh, is uh, Billy Crystal's wife <laughs> by, Patricia Wedding, yeah. who's a nice actress. She's in um, 30 something. She actually right. won back to back to back Emmys. Yeah. I never something. watched that show. I was it too young. It's very melodramatic. Is it? Um, it? It's of his time. It was, it was fine. It was definitely, it's, it's of his time. Yeah. Um, but she back to back to back Emmys is quite an accomplishment. Sure. Um, and she is a, a, a very good TV actress and she does a decent job here. It's not her. It's the way it's written. This woman is written to be an awful person. Yeah. She's not very, uh, empathic with she uh, wakes up empathetic. on his birthday like it's his I birthday know, and she I starts know. giving him shit after his birthday party she's giving him shit yeah it's true she's like where why where did your smile go it's like it's the guy's birthday give it maybe a day maybe give it a day yeah maybe M- give maybe it a day. Not, not right after the birthday party where you saw his best friend's life basically go oh, up in flames yes and you know like that i just that stuff that shoehorned in stuff when they try to make it too plotty um it doesn't work yeah it could have been just the guy is burnt out at work needs a vacation you know, needs to do something different. So this is written by uh, Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans. If you mm-hmm. remember them, these are the same guys that wrote uh, League of Their Own. In fact, League of Their Own was the very next movie they wrote after this. Ah, interesting. Um, so, you know, once again, and it, we talk about it a little bit in that movie, but when it gets too plotty or too jokey, the movie loses its way. But when you just have people reacting to things, the script actually is quite it's good. It's pretty good. And it's the same kind of thing. When you have just the camaraderie of the team in League of Their Own, um, or you have spot and that also be their own has a, has a really interesting, uh, supporting actor in John Lovitz. Yep. Does a great job in that movie. This has Jack Palance do a good job. I thought he was overrated. How did Jack Palance win an Oscar for this? That didn't make I need sense to, to explain me. This to me. That didn't make sense to me at all. I also, I also didn't like how, so I thought in general, the direction was pretty good, was good, but during the palance scenes, a lot of times they would do things where they would like zoom into his face and ham it up. And I was like, I don't need that. Like Jack Palance is a good actor and can deliver those lines and just be, be that sort of stoic cowboy character without you having to ham it up. I also didn't, I didn't find him that expressive either, which I know is a character, but I don't know. I liked him, but I, but I thought it was, I thought it was overrated. I completely agree. He was very, he didn't have much to do. He didn't have much to do. He's not in there very long. Like if you watch the original Batman, I would talk about 89 Batman Mm, a lot in this show, but he's in that. He has one, a small part in that too, but he does a couple of different things and he's actually, is pretty good. He He plays basically Joker's boss that sends him to a uh, chemical factory. That's where Jack Nicholson falls. He's the acid and becomes Joker. So he's in scenes with Jack Nicholson. So it's pretty high level, intense stuff. And he's kind of pulling one over on Jack and it's kind of, yeah. and they have a great showdown. That's when you kind of see Joker revealed for the first time. And Jack Palance is, shows fear. He shows anger. He shows yep. contempt. It's a lot of interesting stuff he's doing in this movie. He basically just shows he's a tough guy. That's it. And that's about it. Yep. So this made me think, all right, well, how bad must have the 
you know, the co- competition bin for him to win Best Supporting Actor? And the answer is, it actually is, is quite bad. It's a lower, it is a lower uh, year. No, this is actually a pretty poor year for movies. Now, yeah. This is the year Silence of the Lambs came out, which is an all-time great movie. But it was extremely top-heavy. That's what and happened. And that's basically about it, yeah. as far as amazing films. Right. Now, let's walk through the supporting actor uh, category here. So Jack Palance wins. Yep. This should not have won. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones nominated for JFK. He's quite good in that movie, but it's not a, it, it's an interesting kind of a scene, but, or a couple of scenes, but he's a small part. Small. And it's just, it's, it's, and then Harvey Keitel, Ben Kingsley, both nominated for Bugsy. I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I don't remember. They're both very good actors. Yeah. Uh, And Michael Lerner was nominated for uh, Barton Fink. I've seen it, but it was so long ago. I don't don't remember. Don't think I've seen. I I, I was was thinking myself, did I see it? I don't really think I did. Now, um, I know it's Coen Brothers. I know I probably should see that, but Coen Brothers and me don't have the best, Mm. some of the best things. Fargo is great, but not a lot of Coen's. There wasn't a lot of great movies that year. Um, but then why not something from Silence of the Lambs? Someone probably I think could Anthony wa- Heald, he plays the uh, doctor uh, yep. at, at the, uh, at the morgue? Lecter, where, at, oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yes. He's, he's pretty good. He, he is good. Gotten, I mean, he's not a name actor, but he could have gotten the nomination. He's good. Um, even Backdraft. You know, we're going to talk about that off of Patreon. Like Donald Sutherland, he's kind of chewing up the scenery a bit, but Robert De Niro is a kind of a quiet role. Scott Glenn's quite good in that movie. That's another so one. you got a few different things there. Uh, what was the movie we covered? Um on uh, the the last movie we just did, um, oh, Thelma and Louise, right? Well, you know, Harvey there maybe. I I don't but, th- I don't think that role is very good. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so. But Brad Pitt, although he wasn't a name actor yet. Yeah. Uh, small Michael role. Madsen is doing some interesting stuff. That's true too. I mean, look, none of these are that great. None of these are really, honestly, are no. But maybe Academy. on par with with Palance here. I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, is there that much now? So a little backstory here: Jack Palance nominated uh, for Oscars in '52 and '53, lost mm. both times. Yeah. This is probably a lot more of a career achievement award. Probably. You see this with Al Pacino instead of a woman, um, but obviously even more the case here because he's in his 70s at this point, Jack yeah. Pounce. So, you know, they probably figured this is his last, and this really is his last, you know, even decent role. So you probably figure, hey, give it, give it, give one to the Cowboys. This also is kind of a wink and a nod to uh, a bygone era of old Westerns. Yeah. So they're kind of, I think, honoring that, you know, that 50s, 60s, Western that was so popular, more fifty. Once the once television got into play and stuff like Bonanza, sure, which they was, sing the theme song to in this movie. Yes, they do. Then westerns become more TV based, but in the fifties, westerns were a huge part of movie going culture. They were. So I feel this might have been a little bit of an, uh, honoring that more than just the Jack Palance performance, <sighs> which there wasn't much there. Yeah, he also wasn't on screen very much. No, he wasn't. I think I did a timestamp. I think there was like fifty minutes left in the movie when he dies. Yeah, it was. It I was forgot he early. died that early. Me too. I was shocked. I'm like, is he dead already? Is this what? Right. I didn't even remember that he died before the next movie. I mean, I knew he was sort of dead by the next movie, but I thought that that was the reason why they got together or something. Oh, he's Curly's dead. Let's go do something. But I thought that was sort of the main. It is City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. Right. (laughs) Which I think Jack Palance plays his twin brother. I believe something like that. Yeah. I saw he was in the movie, but I was like, maybe I I want to say that's how how it goes. We may run to that. We may not. Uh, John Lovitz, uh, takes over for Bruno Kirby because Bruno Kirby had a horrible allergy to horses. That's right. He was taking shots throughout this entire movie. Yeah, miserable experience. Oh. And he basically went in asking for like insane amount of money to do the movie. And they're like, well, we're not going to give you that. Uh, so they kind of tried to come to terms there. And he's like, you know what? I'm just, I, I just so uncomfortable just, the entire I'm time. Just miserable doing this movie. Jesus, yeah. Uh, so John Lovitz takes over in, in that kind of, it's not the same character, but it's a different role. Right. Uh, that movie had some major problems during filming as well, because Billy Crystal wanted to direct it and he didn't, wasn't oh. allowed to. And then oh. him and the director fought. So we do have it, but this movie was directed by somebody different. I kind of wanted to 
talk about that Ron for a second. Underwood. That's correct. Yeah, so also did Tremors, which I I like. My memory is, 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 is fun about very Tremors. Good. Tremors is, um, we talked about monster movies. We talked about- uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Banaconda, but um, what else did we talk about? Oh, uh, Predator. Uh, Predator. Tremors is right there with 87 Predator. Yeah. Great monster movie. You have a, a really interesting supporting cast. Yep. You have uh, Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Bacon, who-, who He's I good. think is a very, very, very I good like actor. Kevin I don't Bacon, know if I'd yeah. say he's A-level talent, but if he's not, he's damn close. Fred Ward is a good right. actor. You have like Michael Gross, yeah, yep. Reba McIntyre. You have a weird cast, like just like Predator. And then you have a decent director in Ron Underwood. Although weird concept. Great concept. Yeah. Great concept. And uh, that's a really interesting, fun movie. Yeah. I'd love to run into something like that. That's a, I hope we do. That's a really good movie. Um, he also wrote that. Um, good for him. Yeah, Ron Underwood. That's actually, in my opinion, Probably that's, that's best. Ron Underwood's best moment. Because then he's done like Pluto Nash. So, well, that, well, let's walk through it. Okay, so City ahead. Slickers, and then he does um, um, he does Heart and Souls, which is mm. like a Robert Downey Jr. comedy doesn't work. No. Then he does Speechless, which is, we talked about it before, Gina Davis episode we just did um, with Thelma and Louise. Yep. It's the Michael Keaton like rom-com. They play political advisors. Yeah. Uh, and then he doesn't do anything for four years and does Mighty Joe Young, which is like a guerrilla action movie. I don't movie. think I've actually seen it. Um, and it was a remake from a 50s. Or so something. 94 is Speechless. Yeah. So it kind of is that run where he's like Tremors, City Slickers, Heart of Souls, Speechless. That's all f- four movies in five years. So I'm sure there's some burnout. And then he does Mighty Joe Young in 98. So four years later, that doesn't quite work. Mm. Not a bomb, but it doesn't quite work. And then he does Pluto Nash in 2002. The reason it's 2002, remember two it was delayed because it was, they, they threw it in a, they threw it in a vault hoping to oh, see it for a while. Yeah. And that movie, and that basically made him toxic. It, it, we'd have talked about how one movie can completely destroy a career. Is that the Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy. Um, yes. I, and it really set him back a bit. It ruined, I mean, it ruined this guy. Like this guy then went, and now he's, he he's, does TV. He does TV. Yeah. And that's, and that's fine. And he, he he's, um, I'm sure he's a fine TV director. He's, he's done a shit ton of I think TV. He's even just did a walking dead like yep. just this past year. So yeah. he's still working. He's an older guy now. still working. Yeah. But it is funny though, how one movie though, can completely not that he was had a great track record before no. that, but one movie though can completely destroy you oh, in in Hollywood. Particularly if you haven't worked in a while, and then you know you come back with uh, with Mighty, you know, Joe, Mighty Young. Joe Young, and it doesn't quite work, and then Pluto Nash is Pluto Nash. Bomb. Though I mean, if let's say Pluto Nash got its money back, he's directing another feature film. Yes, Pluto Nash was such a disaster. It was such a, and we're going to be doing Battlefield Earth in a couple weeks. Um, right, and, and that's another one of those examples of something something can happen that's so terrible. It's so toxic and poison. You'll, it just, it just completely never, destroys careers. Right. Um, you know, Heaven's Gate is along. You know, it's a short list of these kind of movies, but he managed to direct one of those movies that yeah. is so bad. Um, and, that, and that ruined him. Was that ever number, was that in the top 10 of the box office? Oh, it was ever? top 10, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was number one. It. I doubt that, but it was top 10. Yeah. We, we may, I, I, if we run into that week, I may try to pick it just because it is. Yeah, it would be interesting to talk about it. Right. Um, I also want to say that the cinematography in this film was quite good. At times. I think it's quite good. Well, particularly particularly when they're for in a the comedy West. for a '90s comedy. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're you're right. It is. I mean, I I love seeing that type of setting. Anyway. The thing is, they were kind of given like a. Yeah, they are. It's a well, it's a easy to shoot pretty. Things. But I thought they I shot mean, the. He, I thought he shot the river scene really really that was, well. That the, scene is. That's where you see tremors. That's yeah. where you see the action director come out. Yeah, yeah. That scene is really well done. Yeah, really well done. Yeah. Um, right from the beginning to when you kind of see that that heart that um steep decline. Like you're like, oh, this is, and oh yeah. The way he shoots like, that, you see the struggle. Like, and then you have uh, the herd go through the, the that river. And then you see that Norman's left behind. And then um, it is actually quite exciting seeing Billy Crystal, who's not an action star. No, he's not. He sells it really well with his facial expressions. Doesn't yeah. do too much. 
that he, he hits that rock that scene shot well the rope yes he manages to lasso that but he loses his hand in the rope all that stuff is shot and timed edited really well yeah and you're like oh wow this guy i wonder why he didn't do more action stuff like he 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 goes into like rom-coms and like well the cinematographer is an action guy Okay. Yeah, so he did Mad Max 2. He did oh. Young Guns, both Young Guns. He did Waterworld. He did 2012. He did a bunch of action shit. So that makes sense. It seemed like, so maybe he, maybe he struggled more with like some of the intimate stuff. I think, I disagree. I think he struggled more with the comedic stuff. Oh, maybe the comedic, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the intimate stuff actually didn't do that bad on. I feel like I have to sneeze. Do no, I don't. To? It went away. It's Isn't gone? the worst? I think when you say it, then it goes away. Think so, so next time, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. So I said it out loud. I said, I say what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. It really does because uh, I do think this movie is very pretty to look at. I agree. I also love looking at those landscapes yeah, so much. The West is But I will say awesome. it probably could I hate not to be, but like it could, probably could have been done better. Like, I mean, because you're dealt with such beautiful vistas. You are. It is a nice shot of the valley when they hit the valley. And I once again, that, st- uh, that stream stuff is really good, especially near the end of the movie when you kind of were getting, not bored, but a little bit. No, you're like, like, getting a little long. Let's yeah. go, boys. Yeah. Um, to have that stuff at the end actually paid off really well. The other thing I wanted to say is the score is quite good, too. It's iconic because Billy Crystal is the Oscar host, and they played that, to, to, like, intro him. Did they? Yeah, I want to say they played it for even maybe a couple of years. Yeah, so I know he, he did a few he in a row. come out to that. Uh, and then obviously Jack Palance famously wins the Oscar. Yeah. And, you know, if, you've, if you haven't seen it, he gives a speech where he then does one-handed push-ups. Yes, that's so, right. So um, they kind of, and then Billy Crystal uh, actually did a pretty nice job improving. So the rest of that Oscars, he kept saying Jack Palance was doing like, amazing things. Like, sure. Uh, which is actually a pretty funny bit throughout the Oscars. So it was a bizarre speech by Jack Palance. It's, it's quite funny. Um, but yeah, so that's, you kept hearing that orchestra version of it, yep. or at least I did, um, for award seasons for years. And, but part of the reason is it's so good. It's very good. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to mention was, I thought it was weird to see Helen Slater here. Yeah. Helen Slater, you know, not a great actress. No, very but pretty, she did. But- very pretty. Yes. Um, yeah, the Supergirl thing is weird, but she, I mean the legend, legend of what was it? Billy, uh, Billy Jean was oh, her film okay, yeah. from the like ladies Christian Slater, not related was in there too. Yes. And it looked like she was going to have a, like an ascent after that. That's a very, that's kind of a, um, I that's a cult seen, classic. I haven't seen that. I, uh, you've Supergirl, never seen it. I've seen no, a ton I haven't, no, I just, no, I, I Supergirl. I saw a bunch. Yeah. Um, I was really into the Superman, like, and then I had the same guy play Jimmy Olsen. So in theory, it's the oh, same yeah. world. So I was like, I kind of like it got excited about that. Yeah. Um, but the movie stinks and like, it's a terrible movie and she's lousy in it. And she's, Supergirl was a movie too. I know. I thought it was a TV it was show. A movie. Was it a movie? Yeah. She's oh, I must have seen it. Yeah. Then. It came out in 84. It has Faye Dunaway. Oh, um, okay. It's the same producers as the Christopher Reeve Superman's. Ah, um, that's what I mean. It's the same Jimmy Olsen. It's the same world. For some reason, I thought it was a TV show. I forgot about that. Um, also, the same guy plays in Back to the Future. Mark McClure. He's the uh, older brother in Back to the Future. Mm. So I think that guy was in some huge box office. Yeah. Guy, guy, you probably, no one really knows his name. She was quite young there because she's only 27 or something in this movie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, she was young. Yeah. But I'm surprised like she didn't get something like this is just a tiny part. I mean, it was a, the movie made a lot of money, but yeah. it's just this tiny little part she doesn't really say much do i don't think she had a lot of options i guess not i mean her career is supergirl was i'm not was not pudo nash but it, it definitely bombed Did and bomb. she didn't have a lot of she's she's very pretty but she's not very charismatic she's yeah. very icy she is icy um on screen i don't know what she's like in real life um i haven't really heard much about her she she just and then once her looks went i mean you know 
Well, she didn't do much she, after she's this. She's not anyway. a very good actress. So yeah. there wasn't much there. Yeah. Um, she's a pretty girl who looked good in a Supergirl outfit. But besides that, I, I don't know really what else she brought to the table there. Maybe we'll get to Legend of Billie Jean sometime too. That's, that's an interesting movie. Yeah, I maybe. I, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that was a box office smash, so I, I doubt it, but maybe. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think so. It, uh, yeah. I'd, so it, you give it a B. I give it a B. I, I probably shouldn't. I probably should give it a minus, but I'm going to give it a B. Oh, I do want to talk a little about the main characters. Yeah, yeah. And how I relate to them. So you have three characters here, um, and I've, I'm 41, so um, I can, you have, you know, I, I, I'm the same age as these guys, and these guys are all, I felt like all took parts of my life in some way, which obviously is the point of it, but sure. it, it really rang true with me. You have Bruno Kirby, who's... Um, Trying to hold on to his youth. Yes, but also I think he's the most, he's the happiest of the three. I he, think so. And, and he has like a younger wife, and he seems to have... He doesn't know if he wants to have kids. It's kind of his struggle, which I feel is kind of shoehorned in there. Um, sure. But uh, the other two struggles feel a little bit more organic. I think they just wanted to give him something that because even threw him some father issues he has. I know. They kind of just I know. kept giving him stuff because I don't know why they just let this guy just be kind of a happier guy that you know chose a different that was able to kind of live his youth out when he was in his twenties and thirties and get that out of his system. And then he's able to kind of move on with his life. That I think that would have been a more realistic portrayal. And that's kind of how I feel about my life is like in my twenties and thirties, I was able to do kind of what I wanted to do. But now that I'm 40, I want to settle down, have a quieter life. And sure. I'm very happy I'm doing it because I don't have all this regret of the stuff I never got to do. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so then you have the, uh, Billy Crystal character who just feels like lost. He says that, which is a great thing. And I, you know, I, you know, I am very happy in my domestic life, but even before I got laid off, I felt kind of lost to work. What do I want to do? I don't, I don't really, I don't really know. I still kind of feel that way a little bit. Sure. But you just kind of feel like, kind of like, you know, like, all right, I'm 40. And part of it too is like, I should know what I want to do. You know, I'm 40. What the fuck? And then, you know, so you feel kind of like shitty for that. But then the other part of me is like, all right, well, I still have enough time to be able to do something else. It's not like I'm 58 where it's like, all right, well, your professional life is winding down. So when you're 40, it's kind of like that, best and worst of both worlds. Like there's still time to do something. Sure. But then there probably should have been enough time to have known what that is already. Yeah. Um, so I can really relate to like kind of feeling lost at times. I think every middle-aged guy does. You feel like that sometimes? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because I don't, I mean, I think I, I think I've always had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do, but I've had a hard time figuring out how to do it. Like I've always wanted to create content, whether that was making music or doing podcasts or that type of stuff. I just think that that's what I do best. Uh, but, um, but I've always had a hard time finding it. So then, you know, so then I sort of shoehorn, not shoehorn, but I sort of do that creative work through marketing stuff, which is fine, but it's yeah. not, but it's not my project. You know what I mean? It's not my thing, but that's the way I make money. So I think I've always known, I've always known that's what I want to do. I've just had a hard time figuring out how to do it in and, a way that paid the bills. Right. Yeah. I don't even know if I want to, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of in, I'm in flux. I'm lucky enough where. Uh, I can be, I can, I have time to make a decision or kind of a, a path or what I want to do exactly. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely, I definitely have those feelings, especially earlier last year. Like, Oh, I feel kind of lost. And every, everything, everyone at any age kind of feels lost. I know during my lost years, I felt lost. Sure. So everyone has those times. They feel a little lost. It just feels a little different when you're 40, but do you want creative projects? Isn't that what excites you? I want yeah, to do creative is, stuff. But I don't know, but I don't, I don't know if that's realistic. You know, like, I don't know what, you know, is that, is that realistic? Is that, I don't know. I don't know. I, yes, I, I enjoy doing the podcast. Yeah. I enjoy doing some stuff, but, um, but then, you know, is that, is that, you know, realistic occupation? I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Well, well, I think, but isn't it, wouldn't you think that it's more, it would be more inspiring to think about the stuff that you want to do, not necessarily what you can do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I feel like na- even now, maybe, maybe this is unrealistic as a 42 year old person is I'm still trying to make the creative stuff work. 
Like I want to make that work because that's what I'm passionate about. Because doing the other stuff for another 20 years, if that's how long I work, or 30 years, if that's how long I work, seems like I've fucking like dirge. Like I don't like a fucking funeral march. I don't want to do that. Well, I don't want to do something I don't want to do. Yeah. So if I end up doing a different job or something, I just want to, like I said, I, you know, I want it to be fulfilling. I, I like to try to like, you know, help people or do something where I'm making more of a difference than sure. just selling things. I, for the last 15 years, I was just selling things. Now these are things the, I, I'm lucky where I always sold products I believed in. So were things that were being sold to people who were using them. So there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. But I was like, eh, you know, is that, you know, just dealing with other businesses all day. I just, it's, you know, it's just, it just felt so, I don't know. didn't feel like I was making, like I was doing anything that fulfilling. It wasn't after a while I stopped being fulfilling. It was initially, but then after a while I was like, ah, eh, this isn't that, this isn't that much. I don't feel like I'm d- making a difference I get at it. all. Yeah. And, you know, and I, maybe I can, you know, help my town or my local community or something in doing different things. I don't know. Or maybe doing, you know, this is fun. This feels a different fulfillment element, doing a show, doing a, you know, getting that creative stuff out sure. there is fun. The other character is the Daniel Stern character who's going through a divorce. I went through a divorce and you do, you're like, fuck, I'm no, I, I went through mine. I was, I'm 36. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. I got to start over. Yeah. You know, you have those thoughts and it's awful. It's like, yep. fuck, I got to, like, cause it's basically pressing reset and, you will have friends, your good friends are like, oh, you get a clean slate. But like, you don't, mm. when you're depressed about your divorce, you don't think about your clean slate. You're thinking about all the stuff you just lost. You don't think about the, because you're depressed. She's always looking at the cup half empty. She's like, of course. Look at all, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week. We're going, we're going to 2016 next week, which is the worst year of my life. So buckle up kids. <laughs> Another fun, fun story. Actually, my story, Jesus. my story won't be that dark. Um, but, um, but that, yeah, it's the worst year of my life. And that, that entire year was just like, fuck, you know, I just lost everything I've been working, you know, and it does, it takes you, it takes a while to rebuild and it sucks. But, um, but yeah, in that moment though, you just like, I wasn't married, but I had the same thing. I mean, I was in a relationship for six years and in a, on the opposite side of the country. And then that dissolved and I'm like, I've got no roots here. And I've my, my person who I was with is gone. And what the fuck am I going to do? I'm I'm not, my family's not around. No one's around. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I totally get that. Yeah. It's it's, it's very easy to relate to him. Yes. And, and yeah, he, he, Dennis Jones does a really nice job uh, with some of that stuff. Especially yeah. that one scene where he's saying, you know, they're in the tent right after that yeah. ridiculous showdown with the, the Cowboys, but he's in there. He's just like, he's just kind of breaks down. He's like, you know, and that's very, that's, that's what it feels like. So it's like, Oh, this, those three characters are, show being a middle-aged guy really well. They do. Um, and it's, it's probably the biggest strength in the movie. So I, I give it a B. I probably shouldn't. I C plus not bad. Um, Shall we move on? We should. We should talk about some free lunch coffee, though. Oh, let's do that. Um, do you like do you like hearing about kids being hungry? Probably not. No, I don't feel good about that. No, at do you all. like coffee? I do like that. Yes. Good. Sort of a range of emotions you just gave me up and down. <laughs> throwing throwing stuff at you. Well, uh, we talked. We've been talking with these guys for the, the last couple weeks here. But um, when you buy just one bag of free lunch coffee, so you're buying coffee, you are providing ten meals to children in need and. Free lunch coffee gives away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of young children. Seems like a lot of good that you can do with one bag of coffee. Yeah, you're doing a lot. And actually, they have some other stuff too. They Free lunch coffee has some cool custom designs. Uh, this is new we're talking about this week is the mugs and oh, the right. tumblers. Yeah. Uh, each mug provides 10 meals and each tumbler provides 20 meals to children in need. So, all right, Matt, you buy one tumbler, you buy one mug, and you buy one bag of coffee. How That's- many... That's like 40, 40 lunches. Nice job. Oh, good job, man. <laughs> yeah, I can add. Thank well, you. Well, no, well, I want to see you paying attention. Good job. Uh, it's right. Four, so you buy that's a that's, ton. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 40 meals. That's a lot of meals. Uh, beyond a fantastic cause, 
Free Lunch Coffee has great coffee that is specialty grade, certified organic, and Matt's favorite, fair trade. I do like those farmers getting the right amount of money for what they produce, yes. Also, they offer 100% money back guarantee for 30 days. If you don't love their product, they will give you a full refund and you keep the product too. So none of that, like, oh, I gotta buy, find a box to put it in. Sure. Um, you know, they, they, they're that confident in what they're doing. Um, so Free Lunch Coffee is offering a 10% discount to the loyal listeners of this podcast. So you want to use the coupon code QUANTUM. Yes, Q-U-A-N-T-U-M, QUANTUM. QUANTUM at checkout. And you get 10% discount. Uh, you can check it out at freelunchcoffee.com. That's freelunchcoffee.com. And you can go and you can help kids not be hungry and you can get some coffee. Of course, this is uh, Losing My Religion by R.E.M. This is peak R.E.M. in terms of charts. So in this is their charts, okay. Yeah, so this is their seventh album. You know, they've been around since, um, I think it was 1980 when they got together. Very, you know, pretty young, like 20-year-old kids in Athens, Georgia. Um, like sort of a critically acclaimed college radio band. Yeah. For a long the, time. Like the college radio band for I years. I would say that, yeah. Um, and some of their, I, was, I, I totally forgot. So for me, um, so this is off the album Out of Time, of course. It's Out of Time and Automatic for the People. Those two albums like just were huge commercial successes. Yes. 18 million copies for both. So oh, that's like oh, okay. 36 million copies between was, those two. I was two. wondering which, because those are the two. Yeah, the neck and neck. Yeah. Um, to me, like Automatic for the People is my favorite. REM album. I really like it. I wasn't a huge REM fan before that. Like a lot of my punker friends did like them, you know, the more, um, who liked, you know, deep indie music. I was more of a pop kid. So, uh, and automatic for the people came out the, like that and Octune baby, same year, 92. Yep. Though I love both of those albums. I listened to the shit out of both of those albums. I know those albums so well. And I, I really, you know, automatic for the people I love way more than out of time. Um, just because most of the songs on Automatic for the People are great and only a couple on Out of Time do I really like. But Out of Time was, it, it really is all about losing my religion. Like that song just put this album in the stratosphere. Well, the video got played a ton. And the video got I mean, played a ton. It was just, it was, it was everywhere. And you know, Right, so that's kind of when REM went to like that stratosphere. That's level. what it was. And they stayed there really until like 96. Yeah, and then it was kind of, oh, right. they went to Monster, two albums, those two albums. There's a drop. Yeah. Then there's Monster and uh, Adventures in Hi-Fi. Yep. And then um, and then there's a big drop. Big drop, right. yeah, pretty and, much. And, and, it's, and it's pretty much over. I it. do actually, so here's my thing with it. And I, want, I have a list here. So here is a list of songs I like better than Losing My Religion. <laughs> okay. That REM's done. Oh, yeah. Um, Radio Free Europe, Good Superman, one. It's the End of the World, Night Swimming, Electrolyte, Am I Most Beautiful, Day Sleeper, Ebo the Letter, and my favorite REM song and a top 100 song for me, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? Oh, I've never liked that song. I love That's that That's interesting song. that you like that song. Um, uh, so those, so I'm, I think REM is like a hall of the very good. Yeah, they I agree. Are, um, you know, Tommy John, if you will, uh, or, uh, you know, a Steve Garvey type band where they're, they're, they were around for a while. They had, they had a lot of good moments, but they're just not quite over the top for me, but they are, there are quite a few of their songs. I do enjoy quite a bit. And every, like once a year, I'll go back and do like an REM, like re-listen. Yeah. Um, to like a bunch of my favorite songs of theirs. Uh, but this song in particular, I don't particularly love. 
I wonder if it's just because we heard it was this was this crushed oh, the radio. This I mean, was, yeah. this was everywhere. Not so not just on the pop stations, but the indie stations. Every station that you could you, that we would listen to, not country, would have this song on. Yes, and so and then the you know right the video was in like constant rotation. Wait, I don't like the video. I think the video sucks. I think the video is pretty awful. good. Awful. I think it's pretty so good. So silly and stupid. So <laughs> so pretentious. It is pretentious. Yeah, he's dancing. It's he is stupid, dancing. Angel wing. Is it? So no, we, they we, all like move funny. The band moves uh, funny. Like they're uh, this. It's, it is it's, weird. It's, it's, it's a lot too much there. It's, it's, That's probably too much. Yeah. But I mean, for the time, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have a problem. I'm with good. It. Um, Fine. There are tons of. I was going back through their discography today, and I'm like, oh, the one I love, like yes. that song, Pop Song '89, Finest Work Songs, a great song. Finest Works. Oh, yeah. Those are three more songs yeah. I like better than this one. South Central Rain's great. Radio Free Europe, as you mentioned. Also, and then most of like Night Swimming, I think is my favorite. Night I Swimming love is, that is, song. Absolutely. Night yeah. Swimming is my top. I love three, four REM songs. It's a fantastic song. And then Drive and Try Not to Breathe on Automatic for the People. Oh, like right Light is great. That's a great one. That's a great song. Night Swimming yeah. is, re- Night Swimming is Night there. Swimming. Is, it's is, is yeah. quite good. That's a great one. So so I was like, when I, before we were looking at it today, I'm kind of like, I don't really like REM. But then I was looking back oh, and I'm like, oh, there's really? 15, 20 songs I yeah. really do like. What the yeah. fuck am I talking about? Um, oh, I like REM. I, I said they're that, they're yeah. Pinson. They're that, yeah. um, you know, Brett Saberhagen. You know, they're yeah. just Dave Cohen. They're just Miss. Well, you were going to say something and then I interrupted you. I don't know. No, I, 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 I'm glad you brought up Nights. I, I, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of talking about kind of their other. Yeah. This song, I think is just, you're right. Maybe it is. You're absolutely right. It was everywhere. I think that's why. Because this is a very good song. It's good. It's it is good. a very good song. I was never really that into it though. I was never, like even like Crush with Eyeliner, I like better. Than, like mm. I, there's like there's so many of their songs. It's funny you mentioned those first two. So the, the REM album for me that it really was like, I guess the one I listened to the most probably was that Monster album. Um, a little bit later yeah a little bit later and i i always like you're right that stuff was always on bcn something about them just never quite 100 percent click for me yep um they're a little silly sometimes i don't know if that's it i don't know there's something even listening to these songs like oh i like a lot of these songs a lot like i like rem a lot but there's very little about rem i can say i truly love yeah agreed i was very familiar with it just because the artistic kids that i was hanging out with in junior high you know, they, they loved it because their older siblings maybe would listen to it in college or something. Right. So they were turned on to it. Um, I feel yeah, like I, I'm knocking Ari Young. I really like Ari Young. I know, I, feel I know, like we're I know. Being I know. critical here. Um, and I really don't want to be. I wish we were talking about a different song of theirs, but I know that this is their biggest, this is their biggest, biggest hit, right? We'll get to other ones. Uh, and I, I'm confident we'll get to some like automatic for the people stuff. And yeah, but this is their biggest. So they, this song, what did this song hit? Uh, it only hit number four on the Hot 100. That's pretty, it, that's pretty. That's pretty but good, right? It hit, but it hit like one on a bunch of other charts for an, for an alternative exactly. song, which is what this is. Yep. To hit number four on the pop charts is insane. It is. They, they it, this was really their crossover. This was their, this was right. This was their move from college radio to main to mainstream radio. This won them. Uh, this album won three Grammys. I mean, they were nominated for seven Grammys. The song won two Grammys. So this was their like. Oh hey, REM's a good like critical and can sell some al- albums band, and then they were huge overseas too, all over the place. Like this this song charted pretty much every country, like every yeah. country, you know, it was it was everywhere. I mean, to sell eighteen million copies, they're, like they seem they seem like cool guys. They do. Mm, my, uh, oh come on! What no, they do. Gonna... Say, no, I would hang out with them. Yeah, they th- think they'd hang out with you. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. Right? No, but you're, you know okay, what I mean. Yeah, yeah I think I would hang out. The yeah. drummer just like. It was very cool. He's like, you very know what? Cool. Like, I'm just gonna. Ch- I, I just don't want to do this anymore. And yeah, late he '90s, he was done. Yeah, yeah he, after the '96 album, he, yeah. he left. 
Yeah. And um and he just retired and he just he's like, Yeah, I just kinda hang out in Georgia. I go to shows now and then. I um I guess he doesn't like uh I've read an interesting piece on him. He's like, eh, I don't really he's like, I know I can cook, I don't like it, but there's yeah. a restaurant in town that he loves, so basically that restaurant like gives like makes him dinner every night. Is that what happens? Yeah. <laughs> like they either deliver to his house or he goes there and like he, he basically has like this chef on like, I don't know if he's supporting this restaurant by himself or not, but, but he just kind of, and he just has his farm and he just hangs out there. And it's like, I totally get like, you know what? Like this road life, cause that's hard life. Oh, it is. Or touring and everything. And it's like, it's just like, eh, I'm good. I'm just going to walk away. They didn't tour to support this album. Isn't that crazy? Really? Because they were on tour, you know, from the time they were 20 right. until 30, 10 years on tour. And, and, and not and easy they're like, touring, like independent college to yes. college, like buses. It wasn't like jet no, planes. No, 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 no. Because it wasn't until now where they had the clout to do that. So right. their automatic tour after this, they had all the clout. Like they, they had Radiohead opening for them on the automatic oh, for the oh. people tour. Well, I, and that's the, that's the other cool yeah, thing about REM. That must have been a show to see. I would love to. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's the other thing about REM is they influence a lot of people, including Radiohead, you know, or like, uh, yeah, I love, you know, oh, I they love broke Michael down Sagan. a lot of the doors for alternative, even like, you know, I think even Nirvana and Pearl yep, Jam exactly. Nir- have to tip their hat too, just because they kept a station like BCN going to yes. some extent by giving them really great songs, keeping, because even their stuff in the eighties, if you go back, actually a lot of those songs are pretty well known. Yeah. Like, oh, I know, yeah, they I didn't went have back. a regular label, but they're pretty famous songs. Yeah. And like they kept a lot of college stations going. They kept a lot of like alternative stations when alternative wasn't super cool going. Um, yeah, no, they're a very influential band. This song was a fight too between them and their record company. Like their record company was really opposed to putting Losing My Religion out as a single. Why? Because uh, it's 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 actually it's funny. It's an odd, it's oddly written. There's no real the the hook of tell me what you think the hook of this song is. Losing my religion. It's the mandolin part, really. That's the only thing that, that, that like, I it's all that mandolin, that there's no, the, the yeah. verse and the chorus are so similar. They're like even similar lengths. Like there's, uh, there's no, yeah. it's, it's like where we, and I like that sort of You're thing right. because dun, it's dun, unconventional. Yeah. Yeah. That is the hook. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, but it is, it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And he just sort of, he sings, it's almost, he sings linear, linearly. There's no, it's almost like it doesn't move, like resolve to a chorus. It, there's three parts, like, the chorus is kind of this, but it's it just sounds kind of like the verse. Oh, that's not it. Fucking killed me. Oh, I lost it. Oh, and then this like interlude is the only thing that sort of changes. You know? Right. Sort of breathes a little bit, but then he just sort of plods along the rest of it. Do you like his voice? Um, I don't. Th- I don't think it's a particularly strong voice. Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence on it. And I think it can. I. Th- I think it's suspect in a lot of ways. He doesn't have very good in- intonation. It's kind of weak. But he sang a lot of my favorite, or a lot of the songs I really enjoyed from the '90s. He sang them. Yeah, and he did a pretty good job. So it's like, all right, maybe his voice is, or is the band making up? Like, is the band so good they're carrying him, or is he just like like sneaky good? I think he's good enough to deliver what he needs to deliver. He's a really good lyricist. I love the lyrics. He's very smart. He's incredibly bright. This is a beauty. These lyrics are beautiful. Just talking about isolation, not being able to get what you want, losing my religion. You you probably know this and maybe a lot of the world knows it. It's not about religion. It's about like, like losing your mind, being so frustrated and angry and not knowing how to like do something, particularly with, um, you know, someone who you love is not loving you back. And I wonder if part of this has had to do with like his struggle with sexuality um, at the time, like that's kind of maybe the age where he would, he would start to think about that. He was, I know he was dating Matt and Natalie merchant for a little while, but, right. 
Um, and he said he said in interviews since then he's like, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of he says he calls himself queer. He's like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not really comfortable saying I'm gay. I'm not really comfortable saying right. I'm like bi. It's like I'm kind. Of, he's like there's gray areas, and that's kind of where I fall. So I wonder if that's kind of what this is. I, you know, I hadn't I hadn't seen anything, but that's kind of what I get from from this song. His lyrics are quite good, and so I think he can deliver well enough to to get that get that across. These guys seem really smart. They do seem really All smart. All four of them yeah. seem really bright. Yeah, and uh, five of them, right? And uh, is it four or five? Um, drum, bass, guitar, and him. I think four. four. Yeah. Um, and and they would have traveling guitar player. Right, right, right. And the drum. Okay. This is drum, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're all seem like really, they all like the, you know, you never heard a lot of like bullshit with them. No. You know, and they would get really famous. They like, did. They got like, no, it took them a while to get there because of all the, because they didn't get signed for a long time. No, but now for another seven or eight years, they're, yeah, they're, they're like really one famous. Of the biggest one of the bands, bands in the country. Yeah. And, you know, yep. and you didn't really hear any bullshit. They never did stupid no. shit. Nope. And they just seemed like, and like, they're right. Their lyrics are really bright. Some of their songs are incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Like Night Swimming or Electrolyte are just gorgeous songs. Yeah. Um, And it's like, oh, these guys are just, I don't know. These guys just seem like really put together, smart guys. I kind of root for them. I root for them. I always like want to like them more than I do. Like I'll be, oh, I'm going to go to REM kick. I'm like, all right. A couple of days later, I'm like, all right, I'm trying to move on. Yeah. I enjoy it, but it's like a, I feel like they have something left too. They're not that old. Stipe is only 60. Well, they haven't done anything in a long time. No, they haven't. They haven't. But like, I think it's, they saw, I mean, they put out that album, like uh, it was up is the album after mm. hi-fi and the drummer had already left. They put out that album, which actually a couple of songs I really like. I don't know. They were it. not, it's not critically beloved. And that, that album got dragged a bit and they put out another album in 2004 and that album got a little bit more critical acclaim, but then music had kind of moved on from yeah. REM um, and it didn't really get, sell anything. And, and then they stopped. I don't know. I think they're probably just like, eh. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they're just done with it. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. I, don't, I, don't know. Um, I was also trying to think of like comps too. This song is very similar to me as uh, Love Song by The Cure. Yeah. But The Cure is just, it's a little darker. I like, I like Love Song a lot more, but I understand I do the parallel. Too. It, yeah, it, uh, and there's keyboards in that one where this is like an organic, um, you know, stringed instrument type of scenario. But yeah, that, those were like kind of the two so my band comp for these guys, mm. as you mentioned earlier, is Natalie Merchant and 10,000 Maniacs, which, which yes. is a band I like. I like them more than this. Do you really? I'm a huge Natalie Merchant fan of, mm. of, of, like, of certain songs, and I really like 10,000 Maniacs. I like them more than R.E.M. Not a big... I, like their, I tried a lot with them. I had that album, which was probably a similar time period to this, which had Candy on it, which I really... That's, yes. that's a beautiful song. I love that song, but... I didn't really, I couldn't really get into the rest of that album. Jealousy is a top 100 song for me. I'd have to, I don't, I'm not sure I could, I can't think of what that is. I'd have to listen to it, which I, I will. I'll check that out. Uh, but uh, it, it actually was the comp to me was Octune. It was, was U2 at the time. Now U2 has had, has been like so different yeah, throughout their entire yeah. career. So, but I only just look at it in isolation for these couple years. Very similar, but yeah, I don't know who else. Maybe 10,000 Maniacs is a good one. I find I think Ari is better, more successful band than them. Yeah, obviously. But um, I just when I listen, like the sound to me is very. I can see that. Yeah, you got it's a lot of clean guitar, alternative. You know, not a lot and of. You can tell uh, they probably they, they dated. They yeah, probably influenced right. each other. You know, I'm sure there yeah. is. You can hear some of the same. I mean, they were another band that didn't get signed for a while. And they were also yep. did like college stuff for a while. So they, yeah, I bet they probably played a lot of the same bills. That would have been an probably. amazing show to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're good. This is a better. This is a a better '90s pop song than we usually run into. Definitely, you know, or, you know, on pop stations, uh, uh, whatever, a top 100 song that we usually get fall into. So yeah, it's a good song. It's a good band. Good band. If you if you're younger, maybe you don't really know REM. I would definitely recommend like just checking, going through some of your stuff, checking out. 
Um, Matt and I both like that song, Night Swimming. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's if, if you're our, our age or a little older, you haven't heard it's it's, it's it's it holds up. Check it out again. It, it I does. listened to it again just today. It's like oh, it's still good. Stipe did this as a one take too. He sang the vocals on the recording just like once, on losing my religion. On losing my religion, really? once through. Yeah, which I, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, he's he's good. Yeah, he, he's good. He, he doesn't have the best voice, but he's like I think he's so smart. He, I, yeah. I, I think he gets a lot of points just for being so bright and having shit together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Should we move on? Yes. What the hell were you doing? Um, yeah. So I kind of want to talk about, um, yeah. So let's talk about kind of this point in my life. So uh, I always, you know, we talked before my family, we moved to New Hampshire on June 23rd, 1989 uh, from New York. And uh, so it was re- the very last day of my fourth grade, mm-hmm. uh, my last day of fourth grade was the very day we moved that, that afternoon. You know, we packed up the truck and that night we were on our way to New Hampshire. So fifth and sixth grade, I was in New Hampshire and I had a really hard time making friends. I had, That's right. I had like maybe one or two friends the entire two years. I was spent most time really alone. My dad got diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of my sixth grade year. Um, so he's kind of going through chemo and stuff. So I'd be in and out of school and it was just, I just could never quite fit in. I, I remember one instance happened. Um, I don't think I told the story on, on the show yet, but um, I was, it was fifth grade and the, so one thing to keep in mind too is the age is different in New Hampshire than New York. So the cutoff in New York was December 31st. For the grade. For the grade. I see. So um, I'm born November 23rd, like we've said in the show before. So um, I was on the younger side in New York, but I wasn't the youngest because there are people born in December or whatever. But I come to New Hampshire and the cutoff all of a sudden is I think it's September 1. So now I'm younger than everybody else in my, in my grade. Might've been October one. Cause I just sneaked in too. I was young. Okay. I was young for my grade. Yeah. Different towns might have different things. Oh, too, could be. Yeah. But, um, but I was the youngest person in my, in my grade. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden I was like, all right. And not only that, but people in New Hampshire are big. People in New Hampshire are fucking big. There's bigger people here. You know, in New York, you have a lot of, um, you know, whether it be Asian people or whether it be Italians or you, I, I was always one of the tallest people in my grade going from K through four. And I remember when I went back to New York city, when I was in my thirties, I'd be in a subway and I'm almost six two. And sometimes I'd be the tallest person in the entire subway sure. car, but I come to New Hampshire. I go to a bar. I'm not the tallest guy. There's guys that are six, five, six, four all over the place. New Hampshire, just guys, are just bigger. It's like yeah. good stock here. And, uh, there's big people here. So I, I'm the youngest person. Now people are just bigger yeah. here than I'm used to. So, and I'm always, I'm always scrawny. I'm always super skinny. So, uh, I remember one time this guy, uh, this kid, uh, this girl, I kind of like thought would might've been cute. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't really know what to even to, to say to her or I didn't even know what, what to do. But, uh, some guy was like saying that he kind of liked her. And I go, Oh, Tom likes Megan. Ooh. And he's like, yeah, I do. So what? <laughs> Your New York humor didn't fucking and, translate. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh fuck. And I realize like I'm with adults now. Like yeah. I'm the child and they're adults. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, he really does like her. You know, I'm I'm I don't belong. And it was like really hard because I had no real interest in girls. And these guys were like borderline dating. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do here. Um, and I just had a really hard time making friends. I didn't know quite how to just adjust socially. I just really struggled. So my parents, I think, saw that, and um, I always kind of, like, always, I kind of wanted to do like acting, like that kind of thing, like just I like, perform or something. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to do that. So my, we were living in Stratford, which is a very small town uh, in New Hampshire, uh, and it was a town called Dover, about thirty minutes away, if you're familiar with the area. And right downtown, there was a theater. It's called Hackmatack Theater. Yeah. There's also a Hackmatack Theater in Maine, and I believe it's a Gunkwit. Um, but they had kind of like a satellite theater there, and they would perform like they have like adult like shows there, but most of it was used for children's 
performances. Um, and my mom found out about it somehow in the paper, or whatever. And I si- signed me up. So I went and did my, uh, I went, it was the summer, it was right around this time was when I was doing my very first play with Hackmatack. And it was Alice in Wonderland uh, was the play. So I signed up to do, I didn't really know what I was going to do going in. I went in, I was definitely like kind of shy and awkward about it. And we started off doing these like theater games. Mm. And it was very similar to, it basically was short form improv. I sure. didn't know what it was. It, remember, this is before Who's Lines anyway. Yep. I didn't really know, I had no idea what improv was. I like to listen to stand-up comedy. But I didn't know what improv was. And because this is, you know, 1991. And um, I was really good at them. Like really good. And I'm sure. like, I really enjoy this. I'm finally succeeding. I'm finally doing well at something in front of my peer group. Like this is fun. And then they cast the play and I was cast. I had two small parts. I was Humpty Dumpty. This is very funny. Cause I'm very yes, skinny. And, uh, and, uh, I was the, like a page. Like are there, for, are there pictures of you in that egg costume? There, there are, I don't know if there are, there are, they I were, think we should try to find them. Good luck. They're, they're main hidden. Um, so, uh, it wasn't like, you know, the press didn't come out and do like a full review. Of no, this, but you're, you're, I would think your mom would, she may have, but I would probably, maybe we can contact her. And probably, get a, they're not going to, okay. Sorry. Good, good, good luck, Matt. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically I performed as Humpty Dumpty and this, the page of ridiculous tiny roles here. I remember one time, uh, I had a, like, I, I was the page. And I think I was like late for a cue. Just, or I, was, I was so nervous. I wanted to be on time. So I ran out there and I had on like, these like, like red, like slippery things. I like, <laughs> fell on my ass. I like, oh, no. went like, you know, right on my ass in front of everybody. It was kind of embarrassing, but, uh, you know, it's children's theater services. You know, it's um, sixth grade. So everybody right. kind of, you know, laughs it off and it was fun. And I had a really good time. And, um, my favorite part though, were those first two weeks before we even doing the show was fun. But those first two weeks when we were doing these theater games, I really loved it. So I signed up for the next show, which was Cinderella. And I was really good at the theater games and I was pretty good at the audition process. Cause I have a pretty good memory. So I can kind of remember the lines like yeah. more or less pretty easily. And I can, I'm pretty good at reading out loud, especially for a sixth grader. Cause remember I could read early. So I was like, I killed the audition. So I got, I got cast as Prince Charming. Whoa. And of course I'm like four foot nine. The Prince Charming girl is like five foot seven. So I think they probably cast it for that also ridiculous nature of a sixth grade play. Yeah. Um, and then we did Pinocchio that same summer as I was Pinocchio. And, uh, but I was like, it was fun. And I just, I could, so, my self-confidence just skyrocketed that right. summer. I was like, oh, I was, I was like the popular one by the end of the summer in this group. It was, you know, I had, you know, people were, you know, excited that I was getting the lead in this, these plays and I was doing these shows and it, like, I saw like real success and I was doing really well at these theater games that I really loved doing. Um, I remember being so upset when like the first two weeks was so much fun. So when we started doing the play stuff, I remember being like, oh, boring. Um, <laughs> But it was just so much fun. So then when I went into seventh grade, I had like a real confidence. Well, yeah, that was amazing training for social settings, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I also, you know, finally was in a, because how it was in Stratford was a very small school, especially then. So we only had two classes for each grade. So it was, you know, it was, you know one or the other. And um, the, the group of kids I was in seventh grade with ended up becoming like my friend group. Yeah. Like all the guys, like for, we had kind of like, there were only two classes in sixth grade too, but you kind of changed rooms a lot. And it, I didn't really in fifth grade also, I was so new. I was so shy. I didn't really know what to do. So in seventh grade, I ended up just kind of having this like perfect match of all of my friend group, like people I still am very close with today. Sure. And I just came off this summer where I finally felt good about myself socially. Really the best I ever felt myself ever. Even in New York, I never had like so much, that much confidence, that much confidence. So then mm. I went in, I like, I remember like the first day of school, I like told, Instead of, I had a funny joke in my brain, but instead of just sitting on it, I actually said it out loud and it got a big laugh. And I'm like, oh, my ideas are funny. Yeah. I do have something yeah, that yeah, is yeah. interesting to say. And I like went and I jumped in the basketball game. I'm like, I, 
you know, I'm not Michael Jordan, but I can play basketball too. I, you know, can I, can I play with you guys? And they're like, sure. You know, but before I would have sat in the sidelines or I mm-hmm. just would have kind of shied away. And I just kind of like, you know, hoped one of my two friends would like, you know, talk to me that day or whatever. It was, just, it was just miserable, but I finally, and then like after a month later, I was just, I think I was pretty well integrated, but it was all because of that. Cause of your theater experience. It was. And then that same theater experience because of those two weeks, I remember I went through a breakup and I was like 30 years old and I was like really bored. I'm like, you know what? I know they do improv classes for adults. I know they do. I don't know if they do any in Hampshire, but I know that this exists. And I remember thinking I had such a great time in sixth and seventh and eighth grade doing these plays. Like I got, you know, what did they have? And sure enough, I found it. And that's what ended up, you know, sparking your, sparking, your improv love. And, right. and, and like, yeah. yeah, it really kind of changed like yeah. the course of my life in a lot of ways um, was because of this one summer yep in this like probably this very moment june you know, whatever first week of june i was probably doing my very first improv game i'm thinking like i really really enjoy this and um yeah awesome yes yeah it was uh it, it was yeah it's a big but like the a month before that though i was probably about as like lonely and miserable as you what a huge get. swing then it was i it mean it's crazy yeah that's great i remember like yeah it, it happened i remember just feeling so good about about myself and and like for the first time in like a long time i mean that entire sixth grade man i would just go home I had no real friends. I go home. I would like work on my baseball encyclopedia. I would like listen to like, you know, stand up on the radio. And it, just, it was just, uh. I just, I had nothing. My dad's sick. And I'm like, you know, my, my house is so depressing. And it was just, I'm it's just like, it's just awful. And then like really like overnight, I ended up having this like core group of friends that like we talk about, uh, Moody and Simpy. Yep. Uh, so Moody, I met him in that seventh, seventh grade. He's the one that laughed at my first joke. And then, you know, uh, my buddy Ethan, who I'm going to talk about, I think next week, like, he does. I've done New Hampshire cast yep. with him. Like I met him that same, like that same, you know, we, we became friends that week. Like all of my, my other friend, Henry, like I, who's at my wedding party. Yep. Like I met him that same week. It all happened. this like that one week in September, like September after I got yeah. back to the theater group. And I probably would, if I hadn't done that theater stuff. I wouldn't have ever, you wouldn't have had the confidence. I, to, I don't think I would have like said, or maybe I would have. So I don't know. It's, it would have been different. Been really hard. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you have any kids that are struggling, have them do, I don't know. Pandemic can't do shit, but I know they do like, fun classes you can always you know and the rest of my life i always if i feel kind of down i always try to take a class and something different or new because it it's a good way to meet people it's a good way to succeed at something and it's a good way to kind of get your mind off stuff awesome where it was all right shall we talk about uh what was in the news yes. the headlines headlines okay um mikhail gorbachev receives his nobel peace prize for dismantling the block the communist block it was strange. I remember when this happened, they actually gave him the prize. It was the shape of that thing on his head. It was weird. It's a, it's a weird, <laughs> that's a weird thing. Rude. Yeah. I, it, they were trying to do it as an homage, uh, an homage. I think, yes. but uh, okay. didn't work not out. very nice. No. Also South Africa repeals. It's last, the last legal foundation of apartheid, uh, this week. So this is how it was set up. I, I looked in, I didn't, I don't know that much about apartheid. I don't either. Um, but South Africa, basically apartheid is, is apart. It's, uh, it's, it's segregation. And it was based on four laws. Um, the first one was prohibition of mixed marriages. The second one was prohibition of interracial sexual experiences. The third was classification of races, of uh, people into four different races. And then the fourth was, was um, basically only allowing you to pursue a career based on your race. Wow. So the la- that last one was the last one to fall. Oh. Um, and, and it happened pretty quickly. Uh, through 1990 and 1991, but this was the last one. So, um, so the removal of you know of what your job was based on your race happened 
this week oh. in 1990. Wow. Not, not that long imagine ago. that? That's I know. Crazy. It is fucking crazy yeah. to think of that type of racist bullshit was happening in fucking like system, like really systemic. Like, yeah, you can't succeed. It's impossible. If you can't done. get a job, it's, it's, it's so sad. It started happening uh, 1940s and 50s. They were started segregating people by neighborhoods. Sent you know huge mass migration of of um, of like the native population and the black population into like ghettos and slums. It's just ugly, ugly, ugly shit in human history. Um, but it was pulled apart uh, in 1990, 1991. The third thing I have is Albert Bell. Yes. Sent to the minor leagues for not running out a ground ball. He had some problems early in his career. He had that really issue. big problem. He also, <laughs> he, uh, was unhappy with fans uh, at a Fenway Park game. He threw a baseball, I believe, over the green monster in anger, like in he, the middle of a game. He also he threw a ball at a fan. Threw a ball at a fan too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That he was actually uh, trying to appeal his suspension. He was, he was given a seven game suspension for that, and he was this week. He was he was appealing that suspension. <laughs> yeah. When he doesn't run out the ground ball, and the fucking manager, and I guess before the game was over, uh, the general manager was like, "We're sending this motherfucker down," and you know. He called him a motherfucker. Again? I think he said, "I'm calling." Oh, extreme, probably. Yeah, um, but uh, he uh, he also uh, chased down trick or treaters. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Two years later, uh, he had an alcohol problem. Like he was tr- being treated for alcohol for alcoholism yeah. the year before. I mean, he's an anger issue too. He does. My favorite Albert Bell story of all time. Uh, it doesn't really. It's kind of about him, but um, so 1995 playoffs. Red Sox, Indians. This is a three-game sweep. The Indians uh, destroyed the Indians that year. Won 144. Oh yeah, 100 wins, 44 losses. Yeah. They just destroyed the Red Sox, which the Red Sox weren't a bad team that year. But the Indians were amazing. They would end up losing the World Series. But the funny thing is, during that uh, game, Kevin Kenny, the manager of the Red Sox, yeah, um, a long. This has been a long rumor that Albert Bell was corking his bat. Long time rumor. Oh yeah. So he's he uh, he pointed out to the umpire. The umpire checked the bat. Sounds like there's a cork in there threw Albert Bell out of the game, I believe, and they confiscated the bat. They put the bat in the umpire's locker room, which then they would go and retrieve after the game. Well, the Indians um, knew that it was in that locker room. So they found the, like, the worst player on the team, which at that point was Jason Grimsley, who actually had a decent, okay career, but uh, later would become a steroid guy. But they had him climb through the ceiling. Uh, I believe this was at uh, Municipal. Uh, no, it was at uh, Jacob's Field. Climbed through the ceiling, like, through the drop ceiling, like on the top of it, like in Breakfast Club. Really? And they snuck into the locker room, and he stole the bat. Come on! And he got he got the bat, so they weren't able to actually find out. It was, what the fuck? Yeah, I think they replaced it. I think they put in like a non corked bat in there. Um, how they find out that this happened? Was there a book done later or something? Or how? Yeah, the stories came out. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone because right, the story is so wild. It's so ridiculous. Well, the Empire was pissed because they found the bat. They knew it wasn't the same bat. Of course. So then yeah. it's like, what the fuck? Uh, Albert Bell, really interesting career. Um, he uh, had a major hip problems, and he had to retire he early. He signed a huge free agent deal with the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, the second year of that contract, his play really got a lot worse. Ends up he could barely walk. He was he was, he was really having a hard time with his hips. He's young. He's thirty three years. Yeah, he ended up time. having both hips replaced. Yeah. Um, but that makes it really obviously. But it was real problems. But he wouldn't. He didn't retire, which is the Orioles are fine with because it was all covered by insurance. So for the longest time, like four or five years after he ever played a game, he was on their forty man roster. Yeah. So it kind of hamstrung them a little bit because you really want to use all 40 spots for guys. And it, a lot of it has to be like boring player mood. I won't get into too deep, but like it, it kind of made it, hard, it made it somewhat hard for the Orioles to really 
100% compete because one fortieth of your roster is that you got this like basically phantom in there. Yep. But the Orioles really had to do because they were making the insurance company was covering because so, the salary was so huge. That was a stipulation of of them covering it. Is right. He, he couldn't to remain retire. The, yeah, exactly. So the only way he could retire is to stay on stay that. On the forty. Now, once season began, you can put him on what's called a sixty day DL. But basically, the entire off season, you have a phantom on your forty man roster. It makes you it do. really hard. And um, yeah, I have a really interesting career. There was some debate on the Kirk Minahan show uh, uh, when he had Jared Carabas in there, the episode you, yeah, you were in, right. your last time you were in there, uh, and about um, whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not. I don't believe he should be. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think his career was, was long enough. He has under 400 home runs. But, I mean, you could say, all right, well, Sandy Koufax, Kirby Puckett, these guys had their career ended by injury. What's different about, what's different about that than Albert Bell? Um I also think Albert Bell is incredibly one-dimensional. Kirby Puckett was a sure. decent center fielder. He also could have power, had some speed. Sandy Koufax was a generational talent. That's a different argument. Yeah. Um, Albert Bell also never won a World Series. No. He did go to one. He did. I think he was uh, top 10, maybe four or five times in the... in. Um MVP. MVP. And he should have won in 95. Mo Vaughn won MVP. That's right. Uh, but Albert Bell won, hit 50 home runs for the best team in baseball, but people did, people hated him. So they voted for yeah. Mo Vaughn, who was much more likable. Way more. So he probably should have won an MVP. Um, 50 doubles that year too. 50 yeah, incredible. and only 144 yeah. games, which yeah. is wild. Uh, but he, so he, he, you know, but his career, in my opinion, was just too short. Too short. And he was just so one-dimensional. He was terrible in the outfield. Uh, and he, he actually was a little quicker than people gave him credit for. He was a very smart base runner, but um, he it was just all he did was just hit. You know, he's just a monster hitter. But yeah, I think you need more than that. You know, plus I mean, it seemed like he had five or six dominant years, and then it was kind of okay on well, the, the other side. Went, yeah, you know, the hips. Yeah, that's yeah. you know, had the hips never gone. I you know, Prob- yes, yeah, maybe. maybe he should. You know, I don't know. I'm, but I mean, I. I, I well, you think you know another five or six years in the league, he probably he's probably going to hit another hundred home runs, and that that might oh, do. He's, it. Oh, he would have hit another two hundred probably, right? I mean, sitting forty years before the you know the hips went thirty three. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe. he was doing it those five yeah, years before. Right. I mean, you're right. Christ, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the thing, my issue is with him is maybe he was a steroid guy. Maybe he's a pretty big guy. Maybe not though. And well, that degeneration like that in the in in the hips or you know in the joints is a kind of a telltale sign. That was too. a rumor too, yeah. but then you do really didn't see a lot of other guys, so maybe not. Right? Yeah, I would go for me. Uh, not in the Hall of Fame. REM, not in the Hall of Fame. Billy Crystal, nope. not in the Hall of Fame. So a lot of a lot, lot, of, uh, lot of just misses. A lot of just misses. Hopefully this All episode didn't just miss uh, for you. Uh, we are going to 2016 uh, next week. Yep. And here are the movies we're covering. We're going to start with. Uh, Oh my God, I'm already blanking. I don't know these movies. Yes, you do. It's, I'm sorry, Sully. Sully. Yeah, Sully. Uh, Clint Eastwood directed a uh, film with Tom Hanks. Yep. So that's going to be Wednesday. So next time you hear us, if you don't have a Patreon, it'll be Wednesday with Sully. We're also going to do Snowden. With special guests. We have a special guest. And then we are going to uh, do Hell or High Water for the Patreon next week. The Patreon tomorrow uh, is going to be Backdraft, the Ron Howard firefighting epic. So um, With has, uh, Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz is a song, yes. Yep. That, that cast is stacked in backdraft. We got Donald Sutherland, Robert De Niro, it's true. Kurt Russell, yep. um, Scott Glenn, Billy Baldwin, Jennifer Jason Lee. It's, it's a stacked cast. That is stacked. Yeah, it's a lot. I'll be inter- I haven't seen it forever. It'll be interesting to see it again. Um, so uh, see you on Sunday with backdraft. If not, I'll see you on Wednesday with Sully. Later.